I'm going to just jump right into the message this morning. A um, little bit of backstory before we get started. By God's command, Moses led the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt to the Sinai wilderness. Now, we're all pretty familiar with that story. And God's plan was to basically to transform this rabble of slaves into a mighty nation, to be the vehicle through which his law and his salvation would bless all nations. Now, these Jews, they had heard of the mysterious Yahweh. They have heard of this mysterious God, the God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But for generations, the way this happens is, for generations they had, they had been exposed to and they had come to believe in the many gods of Egypt. So they actually, they needed a lot of help. Now, you would really think um, that any doubt of God or Yahweh's supremacy would have long been dispelled, you know, for they had seen God's awesome power in the, in the ten plagues. You know, when you remember that, it's like, that's a lot of power. That would be enough to say, okay, yeah, this is the real God. He's the one with the most power. He's the supreme God. And with their own eyes, they had witnessed, they had seen him part the Red Sea and destroy Pharaoh's army. So you would think that all these other gods wouldn't mean anything to them. You would think that Yahweh was the real true God in their mind's eye, but they had for a long time been worshiping other gods and such. And now they're at the foot of Mount Sinai and Yahweh, their deliverer, came down. Now, here's where we're going to jump into the story, into the text. So if you got your Bibles, if you want to follow along, it's Exodus, the 19th chapter. We're going to start with verse 16 and go through 19. Now, I'm going to be reading from the NIV, but I think your bulletin is printed the New American Standard Bible because that's what I've been in for such a long time. And I forgot to tell my secretary that we're going to change versions there. So, But I, I use the, the New American Standard or the New King James or the NIV. And the truth of the matter is I may even have some of them mixed up in here because I'm looking at all of them. And I just forgot to tell Valerie which one I was using for her to, to print. But it'll be close enough you'll understand. Exodus 19, starting with verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it with fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. So if you can get this picture here with smoke and fire and tremors and the thundering sound of a trumpet blast, God manifested his awesome presence right there. Now I don't know about you, but I like to kind of visualize myself getting in the picture and being one of them. Now, I would say that standing at the foot of the mountain at this particular time, as God comes down, that was a terrifying experience with all this going on. There was something happening here, you know, but to the utter amazement 
of prospective observers through the ages, the desire of Yahweh or the desire of God has always been to establish a personal relationship with his people. That's what he wants to do. This God who created the universe, this God who delivers people from bondage, and this God of smoke and fire who shakes mountains is in fact a tender, loving God who amazingly longs to enter into a covenant relationship with those who want to be his. God loves you that much. You see, if Israel would just choose to, to trust and worship and serve God alone, then God would protect and he would provide and he would pastor them into life and peace and prosperity. But to really know God, really know how to honor God and serve God, people must get to know Him. That's one thing they need to do. You can't honor God, you can't serve God if you don't really know God. You see, they must come to understand exactly who God is and what their relationship um, to Him is. They need to understand that. Now, because God is a God of, of order, anarchy must not reign among his people. See, it was God's plan all along that all the nations of the earth would look upon uh, ancient Israel and marvel at the peace and prosperity that was shared among them by God's wisdom. You know, that was going to be the place to look. That was going to be the example, you know, to, to look at. So therefore, they needed to be organized into a functioning society. God knew that there was just kind of chaos there and they needed to be organized. So ethics and morals, the ground rules for living with God and living with one another had to be firmly established. There had to be some rules laid down. So God began this process by calling Moses to the top of the mountain and delivering to him all of his laws. Now, we can read the corpus of, of the law in the Old Testament books of Deuteronomy and Leviticus. See, um, and there you'll find in, in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, you'll find um, uh, laws just governing every aspect of the Jewish life and society. But the foundational principles of those laws for all those specific laws and the basic summary of all the loving wisdom that is embedded in them is first spoken by God in an audible voice and then literally etched in stone, not just for Israel, but for all men in all times by God's own finger. I mean, this was an important time in, in our history. Now, just allow me quickly to just paraphrase these 10 principles as they appear in Exodus 20, just so we know where we're going. Number one says, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods. Number two, do not make for yourself idols, for I'm a jealous God. And number three, do not misuse my name. Number four, keep the Sabbath. Number five, honor your father and mother. Number six, do not murder. Number seven, do not commit adultery. Number eight, do not steal. Number nine, do not lie. Number 10, do not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now that's just a paraphrased version of, of those 10 commandments. But you get the idea here. 
Now, for some inscrutable reason, these simple, lucid words first uttered by God over 3,000 years ago are still for many a source of constant agitation. Those Ten Commandments still bother people big time. And we see that in our land today. We see what people has done with them. It was President James Madison, the primary framer of our Constitution, he once said this, We stake the future of this country on our ability to govern ourselves under the principles of the Ten Commandments. Wow. But folks, times have changed since that time. Today, all across this country, there have been prolonged legal battles over just the display of these ten foundational principles on public property. And we see that. Media mogul Ted Turner, he said this, we're living without, or we li we're living with outdated rules. The rules we're living under are the Ten Commandments, and nobody here even pays attention to them because they're too old. When Moses went up on the mountain, there were no nuclear weapons, there was no poverty. Today, the Ten Commandments wouldn't go over. Nobody likes to be commanded. Commandments are out. Well, obviously, Ted Turner, he knows very little about ancient history, but he certainly does articulate the attitude of many people today towards commandments. We see that in our world today. In their best-selling book, The Day America Told the Truth, authors James Patterson and, and Peter Kims, they report that 74% of all Americans confess that they on occasion steal from those who they think won't miss it. 64% of Americans say that they lie for convenience as long as no one is hurt. 81% said that they had violated a law which they felt was inappropriate. And 84% confessed that they regularly broke the rules of their own religion. But one of the most shocking in its ramifications is this. A sobering 93% of Americans admit that in the end, they alone decide their position on moral issues on the basis of their own goals, their own desires, and their own experiences. Dennis Curtis is a modern thinking thief. And when police in Rapid City, South Dakota, arrested Curtis, they found a sheet of paper in his wallet that he had written his own personal code. I'd like to share that with you. It says, number one, I will not kill anyone unless I have to. Number two, I will take cash and food stamps, no checks. Number three, I will rob only at night. Number four, I will not wear a mask. Number five, I will not rob many marts or 7-Eleven stores. Number six, if I get chased by cops on foot, I will get away. If chased by a vehicle, I will not put the lives of innocent civilians on the line. Number seven, I will rob only seven months out of the year. Number eight, I will enjoy robbing from the rich to give to the poor. And then I think the illustration, I think I used it two or three weeks ago, but I'm going to use it again. The golfer, Chi Chi Rodriguez, 
he tells of speeding down the street with his friend sitting right beside of him. And as the light changed from yellow to red, Chi-Chi never slowed up. He just zoomed right on through that red light. Well, his friend over there just about had a coronary because he wasn't used to that. And he said, Chi-Chi, what in the world are you doing? You know, you don't. why don't you stop at red lights? And Chi-Chi said this, my brother taught me how to drive, and since he doesn't stop at red lights, neither do I. Then he proceeded to blast right through a second red light, you know, at the next intersection. And his friend says, come on, man, you're going to get us killed here. You know, what in the world are you thinking of? Well, they came to the next intersection, and the light was green, and Chi-Chi slammed on brakes. And nervously, he looked both ways, and his friend said, why stop here? This is a green light. And Chi-Chi replied, I know, but my brother might be coming. <laughs> Folks, the truth is this. When it suits us, we've all become pretty adept to the changing green lights into red lights or, or red lights into green lights, haven't we? We've done it. Well, what's most disturbing is that so many people in our culture really don't see any problem with running red lights or with a thief who's written his own rules or with the fact that 93% of Americans actually believe that each man should be allowed to do what seems right in his own heart. In fact, the postmodern mind cries out, do not impose your morality on me. I will decide what is right and what is wrong in my life. Friends, not even mentioning such blatant disregard for the authority of God or the eternal issues of heaven and hell, just think for a moment about some of the social implications of that kind of thinking. Disregard heaven and hell and, and morality, but just think about that kind of thinking, what kind of social, or social ramifications would that have? You know, what if you lived in a town where stopping at stop signs was left to the decision of each individual driver? You know, what if the city council decreed that from now on all the street signs, they were just merely conduct suggestions but have no force of law? What if murdering your neighbor was a matter of choice? What if stealing was considered a bad thing for some people but okay for others? You know, could we really survive in a world like that? Well, the truth is we're almost there already in a lot of places. See, we do live in a society where a serious crime occurs every two seconds. We live in a society where a rape occurs every six minutes and where a murder occurs every 23 minutes. We do live in a society where... Theft and fraud in American businesses, you know, they, they spend more money each year on security than they do on research and development because of theft and fraud, you see. Well, Psalms 11 and verse 3 asks a real important question. And I think that's a question that we need to ask as well um, when we stop and think about it. When the foundations are being destroyed... What can the righteous do? And folks, that's where we are today. The foundations are being destroyed. What can you and I do?
Well, the obvious answer is we must rebuild those foundations. You know, we must get back to some of the basics. You know, some of the things that you see in the streets and the rioters and the things that are going on, folks, that's a product of kids that used to have temper tantrums in the middle of the floor and mom and dad let them. That's a byproduct of that right there. That same kind of thing, you see. So for the next 10 weeks, we're going to travel together to the foot of Mount Sinai. And I think each week we need to approach the mountain of God just like Israel did with a great sense of reverence and respect. We need to stand in awe of God and his commands. We need to be taught to, or we, we ought to tremble, you know, as we listen to the voice of Yahweh or the voice of God. But you know, in his, in his word, God's made us a promise. And this is pretty exciting. You know, he's promised that if we will, if we will humble our hearts and ready to learn and draw near to him, then he will come down from heaven and draw near to us. A promise. But it's a conditional promise, you see. Now, frankly, in the beginning, God drawing near might, for some people, uh, might be a terrifying experience. But you know what? Each week in this series, just like the children of Israel, you're going to be amazed to discover that this awesome God of fire also longs to have a personal relationship with you. And that these Ten Commandments, which are today in our culture so controversial and irksome. It's the word I used last week. I learned irksome. You know, to so many are in fact very tender commandments. They're loving boundaries which were drawn up by our Heavenly Father for the blessings and protection of His children, which are you as me. They are indeed God's ancient wisdom for our contemporary lives. Now, God had three specific purposes in giving the Ten Commandments. Consequently, there's three specific goals for our study of them. And today, what I want to do, I want to present and challenge you with these three goals so that all of us will come the next ten weeks with the right focus and the right heart. We need to get back to the basics. We need to rebuild the foundation. So number one, we're going to study the Ten Commandments to know God's absolute moral nature. You notice I filled in your blanks for you this morning because <laughs> I didn't want you to miss. We're going to study the Ten Commandments to know God's absolute moral nature. Now preachers are often asked, Pastor, how can I know for sure what God is like? Or how, I, how do I know for sure what he wants me to do? Or how can I distinguish between all the myths about God and, and you know that men have created from the reality of who God is and what is his will for my life? Now we talked about that some last week about knowing the will of God. But as I was studying this message, studying and, and, and reading different things, one writer talks about this. He, one writer, he says... He talks about how hard it is, a task this is, um, because all of the different images of God presented by the various religious groups. I never thought about it that way, but he writes this. 
The Presbyterians say that God is austere and, and uh, terribly autocratic, while the God of the Congregationalists is much more democratic. The God of the Wesleyans is um, most holy, while the God of the Mormons is a physical deity with a very robust sex drive. The Baptist God seems pretty divisive. The Russian Orthodox God is quite given to ritual, while the God of the Spiritualists is mysteriously elusive. The Muslim Allah controls everything while the Unitarian deity seems to be in charge of nothing. Well, you get the point. There's no doubt that, that people have grappled with these questions before because they're hearing so many different things from so many different groups. You know, what is God like? How can we know him? You know, what does he want from me? Everyone seems to have a different view of God. Well, I want to suggest to you this morning, we do the most practical thing, and the best place to find the answers to these questions is right here in the Word of God. Because, folks, the Ten Commandments are God's own words on these subjects. From the beginning. So it is here that God has revealed to us about His absolute moral nature. See, as we study all the things that God wants His children to do or not to do, we're going to see clearly all the things that are most important to God. We will see that God wants His children to be holy just as He is holy. And in His law, He defines for us exactly how He measures holiness. And in this age of relativism, you know, like uh, how, how truth and morality exist in, in relation to our culture and society, it's essential that you and I, all of us who claim to be Christians, know and fully understand God's measures because we live in a world where they're being distorted like you've never seen before. Our world is terrible. Now, we have some good people in our world but folks, it's going to take us to put on our big boy pants and our big girl pants and buck up and carry on the responsibilities that we have as Christians. We're going to have to take a stand. In a commitment address, this was years ago, probably about 30 years ago, at Duke University, ABC's Ted Koppel, you may know the name, probably I think he was the anchor for Nightline for a long, long time. Uh, many years, but he surprised me with these keen insights. I want to share them with you. He says, we have actually convinced ourselves that slogans will save us. He says, shoot up if you want, but use a clean needle. Enjoy sex whenever and with whomever you wish, but wear a condom. No, the answer is no, not because it isn't cool, or smart, or because you might end up in jail or dying from AIDS in an AIDS ward, but no, because it's wrong. And then he goes on to say, because we have spent 5,000 years as a race of rational human beings trying to drag ourselves out of the primeval slime by searching for truth and moral absolutes. Our society fi finds truth too strong a medicine to digest undiluted. In its purest form, truth is not a polite, a polite tap on the shoulder. It's a howling reproach. When Moses brought down from Mount Sinai, 
what Moses brought down from Mount Sinai were not ten suggestions. They were ten commandments. Are, not were. The sheer brilliance of ten commandments is that they codify in a handful of words acceptable human behavior, not just for then now, but for all time. Well, that may have been 30 years ago, but he got that one right. Folks, God etched these words in stone. And Jesus said in the fifth chapter of Matthew in verse 17, I came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. Not one jot or tittle, not, you know, not even a punctuation mark of God's word, of God's law will ever pass away. You know, and I want to suggest to you today that I will document in the weeks to come that about 99% of the problems in our life, in our society, are a direct result of our denial or our neglect or our ignorance of the absolutely moral nature of God. As we begin this study of the laws for living that God has declared, we will come to know and understand like never before the absolute moral nature of God. Second thing, we study the Ten Commandments to know God's formula for abundant life. <clears throat> now we know that the whole Bible teaches us that there's a way of blessing and there's a way of curse. You know, if we honor God and keep His commandments, we will walk in the path of His blessings. You know, and it's not that God looks down on us from heaven and because He likes what He sees, He decides to miraculously just move your boss to give you a raise. I don't think it works that way, you see. Um, but the truth is this. God has built into our world and he's built into people and into the very nature of relationships with one another, laws of blessings and the laws of curse. You see, just like the laws of physics govern the physical world, there are spiritual laws that govern the way people act, the way that they feel, the way they think, the way they think about themselves and the way they think about others. Now, it's true that when many hear this, these ten thou shouts, they wrongly conclude that, that God is some cosmic killjoy that's sitting way up in the throes of heaven, you know, whose main concern is um, that no one down here should have any fun. But folks, you and I know that that could not be further from the truth. We know that that is not true. Jesus said in John the 10th chapter and verse 10, says, I come that you might have life and life abundant. And then he prayed to his father in 2 John in the first chapter. He said, our joy would be full. Folks, hear this. God's laws are not designed to restrict us. Did you hear that? God's laws are not designed, are not designed to restrict us. Rather, they're guidelines by which we might best enjoy the life that He's given us. One preacher called them life's operating instructions. You know, when you buy a new car and you look in the glove box, what do you find? You find that maintenance brochure, you know, in the glove box, which gives you a whole bunch of rules, 
you know, of, of, for operation and maintenance on your new car. And at times, they may seem just a little bit tedious to follow, you know, to change the oil and to change the filter and rotate the tires, you know, exactly as the book prescribes. But, you know, if you do those things, your new car will function better and it'll be worth more for a longer period of time. That's just a matter of fact. Well, the Bible is God's owner's manual for your life. You see, it's the manufacturer's operating instructions. It's the maintenance schedule we need to follow in order to live a long and abundant life. Folks, we need to get back to the basics. Now, the Ten Commandments are foundational to all these instructions. And folks, if you will really learn and live by them, we will be blessed. God has promised that. In fact, you can avoid a whole lot of heartache and pain for yourself and for your children and your grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. You can choose to pass on to your children a legacy of blessing by learning and living and teaching these Ten Commandments. Go number three. We're going to study the Ten Commandments to know God's salvation by grace. Now, to some of you, that may just sound a little bit like a contradiction here to say that we're going to study law to be saved by grace. But the truth of the matter is, it is a necessary step. Let me explain why. You see, one of God's primary purposes for the Ten Commandments was to convict and motivate us to repentance. And I know if we're serious about following God's Word, that that purpose will be accomplished in these weeks to come myself included. We need to take a deep dive into these Ten Commandments to God. We need to call things back together. We need to rebuild the foundations, you see. Now, it really may surprise some of you to discover that it was never the purpose of the Ten Commandments to make us good. It wasn't a purpose. A few years ago, these commandments were often posted on the walls of our public schools, but the truth is the fact that they were posted on the walls of the schools did not in any way make the students better people. In all of those schools, there were still young people who told lies, who stole lunch money, who swore in the Lord's name. But you see, God's purpose for the Ten Commandments was never to make people better, but it was to make them more aware of their own vile sinfulness. You see, I want to refer you to Romans, the third chapter in verse 20. And here I will be reading out of the NIV. It says, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. But through the law, we become conscious of sin. Now, I really like the way Phillips paraphrases this verse. It says, the straight edge of the law shows us how crooked we really are. I like that. That's what it's saying. Bob Russell, you've heard me talk about him before, a friend, preacher, big church, he's retired now, but he tells about the morning that he was reading a wet newspaper and he got ink smudges all over his hands. And after his breakfast, he washed his hands, but he never realized that he also had ink smudges all over his face where he had touched his face here and there. He didn't know about that. So all day long, he visited with people, and he even spoke at a businessman's lunch and, you know, that afternoon. And he had never realized that those smudges were all over his face until he looked at himself in the mirror that evening. 
kind of describes a lot of us in our lives. You know, we're all quite content with our lives, even though our lives are totally smudged with sin. But it's only when we stop and take a good hard look in the mirror of God's Word that we realize what a mess we've made and how far we've drifted from being what God created us to be and enjoying the life that God created us to enjoy. So it's my prayer. And don't take this wrong, but it's my prayer that over the next few weeks, we will all, self-included, experience the pain and the embarrassment of discovering sin smudges on our face. See, I pray that the law of God will bring us to a profound awareness of our own sinfulness and our desperate need for a Savior. And the law of God, pray that it reveals our sin. And in our repentance, we'll gain a greater and greater appreciation for God's marvelous salvation by grace. You see, you see, you have to be lost before Jesus can find you. You have to be broken before He can make you whole. In other words, we have to realize that we're not perfect before we can be fixed. So we need to take a deep dive into these Ten Commandments and really learn to know God's nature and to know His abundant life and to know His grace. These are the three great goals and reasons for studying these tender commandments. I know this sermon is a little different than those. This was just the introduction to a series of sermons. Maybe you know someone who needs to be with you next week as we start this. Let me encourage you to invite your friends. But folks, we need to get back to the basics. We need to rebuild the foundations and no better place and go back to the foundational principles that God established. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you we have the opportunity to come and worship you in spirit and in truth. And Father, we want to thank you for your word. Father, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it steps on our toes. But Father, if it'll help us draw closer to you, if it'll help us to live in heaven with you one day, we want to say it's worth it. And I want to know. I want to do like you designed me to do. And I know you'll make us happy for it. Father, if there's one here this morning that's outside of Christ, we pray that you would convict them, that they would say, you know, today's the day. I want to take care of this. I want to be a child of God. Without a doubt, if I have any question, I want to be a child of God so I know where I stand. Yes, it's in Jesus' name.